Pour parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. Le climat-wandel erfasst immer weitere Teile der Welt. Farmers help us bring nature back and preserve biodiversity. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous. The Berlin International Green Week is a giant trade fair for all things farming and environment. And here at the most recent Green Week, held in mid-January, crowds are gathered around the Swedish stand, sampling wild reindeer sausages and learning that more and more Swedish farms are going organic. In fact, the figure is now 20% of land under cultivation. And the young blonde woman with blue eyes who's welcoming us is Lena Dallow from the Swedish Board of Agriculture, dressed in the Swedish colors of yellow and blue. She tells us that the German market is an important driver of growth for sustainable Swedish quality. Sweden has far-reaching uh, regulations in terms of animal welfare and agriculture in total. Everything here is either ecologically certified or on its way to become ecologically certified. We see Germany, of course, as a big market for Swedish producers. It's very close by. We see that the trend in Sweden is not as good in terms of eco or organic consumption as it is in Germany. So we would like to present our fantastic producers also to the German market. I must confess, until now my understanding of production in Sweden was limited to a certain well-known purveyor of household furniture items. But as Sweden assumes the presidency of the Council of the European Union for the first six months of this year, it's a good time to look at farming in Sweden, which, as we'll learn, varies considerably in all sorts of ways from north to south. Welcome to this 27th episode of Food for Europe. So, for starters, a reminder of Sweden's geography. North to south is some 1,500 kilometers, and more than two-thirds of the country is forested. Deciduous trees predominate in the south, where the climate is moderated by the Gulf Stream, and as we approach the north towards the Arctic Circle, conifers abound. So agriculture in Sweden presents challenges and opportunities. Here to tell us more is Lars Olsen, Coordinator for Agriculture in the Swedish Presidency of the Council. Lars, welcome to Food for Europe. Hello. First, give us a picture of the Swedish Presidency's priorities for agriculture in this six-month period. One top priority for the Swedish presidency will be uh, the market situation and food security, both in Ukraine, but also for agriculture within uh, Europe. So let's talk about agriculture in Sweden. Before getting to the specifics, give us an overview of the sector and its various elements. It's not a very big sector. It's less than 1% of the gross domestic product. 30% is dairy and bovine products. 40% is uh, crop production. And the rest is poultry, uh, pigs and horticulture. So it's a very diverse uh, agriculture sector. One thing is the long country from the north down to the south, the plains where you have fertile soils and good conditions for farming. In some areas you are very dependent on support to overcome 
handicap. And in those sectors, it's mainly grass-fed production for bovine, dairy production. And in the plains, you're more into uh, cereal production. What would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of Swedish agriculture? One strength is the focus on climate and environmental ambition. Uh, and also animal welfare. We have the lowest uh, use of antibiotics in Europe. We have very low use of pesticides since the uh, 80s, where we had the first program to half the use of pesticides. The challenge are, of course, high production costs, especially for labor. It's a challenge with the competitiveness in the agriculture sector in Sweden. Now... One of those sectors, and one with especially high production costs, is cattle breeding. Let's head now to the village of Svartbin, in the municipality of Överkalix, in the heart of Norrbotten, among the northernmost counties of Sweden. There, a stone's throw from the Arctic Circle, we meet a couple of conventional dairy farmers, young and passionate about their work. The snow crunches underfoot on the path that leads us to the Stora Moo farm. In this season of endless polar nights, we can just make out the deep red colour of the wooden buildings. Hulda Wiersen and Johan Liljebach are waiting for us in the stable. Hello and welcome to our farm in Svartbyn and Överkalix. The farm has been in the family since 1970. After studying agriculture at university, Johan began work with his father in 2010. At that time, they had just 30 milking cows. But since then, they've expanded substantially. We have about 280 cows. 120 at the moment are dairy cows. The rest are young stock that we are breeding up to be, to be dairy cows. And some are also for a little bit of meat production. All the cows are from the same breed, Swedish Reds. <laughs> We farm about 180 hectares. Most of it is grass silage. We have a really good climate zone for grassland production and barley is the most common cereal crop up here in the north. But expanding their herd is not the limit of their ambition. Thanks to European Union financing, they've developed new technologies which have enhanced efficiency and production. We have uh, the milking robots, they have apps, so yeah, you can keep track of the, the milking when you're outside working. We also have cameras you can see in your phone. We have two main tractors that we use in, for field work. They have a GPS guidance system. But challenges linked to the economy, both in Sweden and globally, are posing threats to the farm's profitability. 22 is not a bad year for a dairy farmer in Sweden. Most of the increased costs connected to the energy price is, is covered by the higher milk price. But I would be a bit more concerned and worried about 23 here, when you see still high production costs and milk prices down. Whatever the answer to this financial squeeze, Hulda and Johan have rejected the idea of going organic. The difference between conventional milk and organic milk is not so big because Sweden has very high regulations when it comes to animal health and also antibiotics. We are a conventional farm. We also need to have our animals outside during the summer. 
So it's a bit hard to find a unique selling point for the organic milk, really, and explain it to the consumers, especially now when the milk price is going up quite a lot in the stores. Nevertheless, Hulda and Johan are committed to the principles of sustainable farming. They're involved in Greppe Naringen, a national programme supported by financing from the EU's Common Agricultural Policy. The purpose of the programme is to reduce pollution caused by the overuse of nutrients in agriculture. It's something close to Hulda's heart because for years she worked as an agronomist for Greppe Naringen, which means focus on nutrients. Focus on Nutrients offers advice that is free of charge for the farmers. It's a national project and you can get advisory to uh, you follow up the nutrients to the crops and the feeding of the cows and the animals. And it's to get both a better environmental and sustainable production and also a better economy for the farmer. Hulda and Johan are mindful of their responsibilities towards biodiversity, which is threatened by the abandonment of farms in Norrbotten County. Here in our village, there used to be 400 dairy cows. Now we're the only farm left here. A lot of farmland is not in use anymore. When everything goes back into forest, you lose a lot of biodiversity, really, because when you have open meadows and, and fields, you get a a lot of different habitats for a, a number of species. In the north part of Sweden, we don't get any money working with the Green Deal. So the money is focused on the south part of Sweden, actually. And as I see it, when you don't get any money to do the environmental job, you don't get motivated. So Hulda and Johan are doing what they can, for example, by operating beehives on their farm. And they're never short of ideas. The next big investment we would like to do here on the farm when it comes to sustainability is uh, probably a biogas facility so that we can subtract methane gas from the cow manure and use it to make electricity and heat on the farm. Lars Olsen, you heard our report there. Why does Sweden prioritise the South for funding related to environmental protection and biodiversity? Do you, in effect, have two strategic plans, one for the South and one for the North? There is one strategic plan, but there is regional adaptions uh, since there are these big differences in Sweden. And when it comes to eco-schemes, some eco-schemes are uh, devoted in the south because there you have maybe big problems with nutrient leakage, as an example. You don't have the same problems in the north. At the same time, in the north, there are extra support to compensate for reduced capability to produce. You have a higher investment support because of the high cost to invest in that region. You have support to compensate for long transport, as an example. You heard also about the concerns Hulda and Johan have about the abandonment of farms in their county and the consequences for biodiversity loss. What's your approach to tackling this? That's an important matter. We have increased the support for pasture land, for meadows. We have increased support to compensate for handicaps. And we have national support in the north for dairy production. And it's been increased and there will be a discussion maybe to increase it further. But in the CAP, 
We also have um, higher income support for young farmers, which will help them to be able to um, rent land, for example. It's important to support young farmers to come into the sector and to be attractive. It must be um, profitable. It must be something that you could be proud of. Farming is at the moment very technical and you work with the nature and you produce something that is so needed, um, both open landscape, um, biodiversity and food. More young people might see that's an um, interesting outcome to be farmer. Sweden has just under 59,000 farms. This increasing number of abandoned farms, is it just confined to the less hospitable north or do we see it also in the south? Where I come from, 100 kilometers uh, west from Stockholm. When I grew up, there were around 10 dairy farms, uh, and at the moment there are no dairy farms left. Indeed, let's move now to the south of Sweden to hear the perspective of Hans Rammel, a conventional farmer in the county of Scania and the president of the county's Farmers' Federation. Hans, paint us a picture, please, of your farm and what you do. Yes, so this is a family-owned farm that has been in the in our family for nine generations. Since the uh, 18th century, our main business are crops, sugar beets and rapeseed and wheat and barley, grass uh, seeds. And we also have beef production. We have uh, 110 cows, mostly Angus breed that are outdoors from April until November on the meadows here, eating grass. And then we also have forestry with big uh, oak trees and beech trees, right? But also pines and lots of uh, wildlife with deers and uh, wild boar and uh, pheasants. It's a fairly big farm. The land uh, area here is uh, 3,500 hectares. How would you compare the conditions where you are on the plain with regions in the north, such as where Hulda and Johan are farming? It's easier here, probably, compared to the conditions in the north, uh, where it can be quite rough sometimes. In uh, this part of Sweden, we have this soil that can compete uh, among the best soils in the world. The climate is good, I think, here for agriculture with um, rain every so often, a summer that is warm but not too warm and a decent winter. But now the climate is changing and uh, we have longer dry periods, not so cold winter. There are upsides and then downsides to it. A cold winter keeps the pests under control, so we are preparing for more insects and uh, weeds. With the drought, um, we're also looking at the irrigation, but we don't have any of that yet. Here. Now, for some time, you've also been part of Greppa Naringen. What do you get out of it? For us, it has been a lot about uh, calculating the nutrient uh, flow to sort of uh, optimize our use of fertilizer. Try to uh, keep the fertilizer from uh, leaving the field and, and running out into the streams and the lake. It's very significant and very important that it's, it's on voluntary basis. That also makes it much more powerful because uh, you are working from your own ambition instead of being forced to do it. When you say forced to do it, is that a reference to the provisions of the new common agricultural policy? If you're a voter or a politician, I can understand that you want to have control and you want to sort of steer the CAP towards uh, environmental actions. So the direct subsidy is uh, smarter in the way that it's less bureaucracy, less red tape, less controls and all that stuff that takes uh, time 
and money and energy from what we need to do from day to day. But that, I, I can say there are good things about this CAP also with the investment uh, support uh, that we need right now because of interest rate, inflation and energy costs. We need something to sort of keep the investment rate going, especially the investments towards more environmentally friendly technology. Thanks very much, Hans Rammel. Now, Lars Olsen, we've discussed Greppa Naringen with Swedish farmers in both the north and south of the country. Has it worked well, in your view? Yes, it's a bit of a success. It has been for over 20 years. It will continue in the new CAP, in the strategic plan, to cover also climate. And it could be expanded further to look into resilience on the farm. As you heard, Hans Rammel is not especially happy about the paperwork that farmers must prepare and submit for financial support under the new CAP. What would you say to him? Yes, uh, it comes with a lot of red tape the CAP, that's true. It's something that we will have a focus on to reduce the red tape. Through digitalization, it will be more easy to document. But some of the measures within CAP need documentation and um, it's difficult to come around that. What other aspects of Sweden's strategic plan would you like to mention? We need to increase the productivity as well in agriculture. And for that, we need more research and development. And that will be the focus in Sweden in the coming years. A final question. Looking into the future, how do you see Swedish agriculture at the end of this decade? With the focus on research and development, we have increased productivity further. We have um, a food chain that is more connected. We have been able to increase production and uh, also increased export of food products from Sweden. I hope also maybe a, a bit younger farming community. Thank you, Lars Olsen, Coordinator for Agriculture in the Swedish Presidency of the Council, for your contribution to this podcast. And thanks to Lena Dallo from the Swedish Board of Agriculture, to Hulda Wersen and Johan Lillebach, our dairy farmers on the edge of the Arctic Circle, and to Hans Rammel, farmer and farmer's representative in Scania. And with that comprehensive overview of agriculture in Sweden, we bring to an end this episode of Food for Europe and we look forward to your company again in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Until then, bon appétit. Organic farming is steadily increasing. That's good. Pour parler d'agriculture et d'Europe à la jeunesse. The climate change affects ever weitere parts of the world. Farmers help us bring nature back and preserve biodiversity. Ceux qui sont dans le rouge s'en sortent quand ils font plus vert. La qualité dans ce pays, elle doit être là pour tous. 